My name's Elijah, and welcome to the Roots Hospitality Podcast. Yes, yes. Welcome to episode 57 with Kenneth Fung. Well, yeah, what, 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 so what time do we have to be out of here before everyone gets in? There's, there's no, uh, no problem at all. We can stay as long as we need to. So. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. cool. Okay, cool. I just, I wanna... just wanted to get in here before the hustle and bustle of the production crew comes. Because sure, we're doing a little bit of a shoot tomorrow, so they're going to set here, set up here, and um, yeah. Oh, awesome. Is that just for... Yeah, so it's, or? no, no, it's uh, for Omnivore, which is kind of, um, uh, what do you call this, this documentary that we're making. So we announced it back a while ago uh, in collaboration with Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're basically filming different episodes based on single elements like salt, um, chilies. And so tomorrow's shoot is about chilies and we're getting some B-real footage for everything else as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing with uh, Noma Projects, which is kind of our wing that does, with, um, does a little bit of everything from a little bit of you know, media stuff to some of the consumer goods and things that we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. That's, gonna be, that's actually going to be pretty interesting. It is interesting, but it's a little bit of a pain from time to time because <laughs> we're usually off tomorrow, so we have to come in and, and, and get some things done. But thankfully, you know, the production companies uh, that we're working with is really like, they got your stuff together, so. Yeah, right. Well, I guess for first, uh, now that I'm here, Congrats on the on the three stars. I, I know you don't often uh, <laughs> take you don't like take credit for it, but you say there's a lot of people in foundation yeah. that help kind of bring it here. But I guess congrats on behalf of everybody in Australia. It to be honest with you, like it, you might not notice it when you're there in it, but the impact or the the waves it sends through the industry. Mm-hmm. Do you know what, it's like when you hear some chef around the world is closing his big restaurant. You're like, yeah. whoa, what the fuck? Like, this is mind blowing, you know? Like, it was this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, so hearing about this, to be honest with you, I thought this already had three stars. That was the first thing I, I said when I was like, doesn't it already have it? Mm-hmm. Like, you, after the way they, like the media talks about it, it's like, it's, seems a bit late. Like, yeah, know? 17 years uh, <laughs> we waited, so. And of which I think seven uh, we spent in a two-star realm. So yeah. it was like pretty, it, it was pretty amazing. It was a good feeling. I imagine it would have been. <clears throat> I imagine it would have been, but like, yeah, it's just, it was crazy. But I think everyone, everyone's reaction was like, oh, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. Do, do not, I, don't want, I don't want to say it, but every, that's what everyone was saying. Like, like come on. Like. Yeah, we, we felt <laughs> the same too. Because to be honest, we weren't planning for anything because we, we just thought we were out of contention based on, you know, whatever it is that we do that didn't necessarily resonate with the the guide or anything so oh that's interesting yeah Yeah, we just kept doing what we did and uh made a couple of tweaks and it was also the moment kind of after covid you know things were a little bit strange but at the same time with with some pause you get a little bit of clarity clarity in terms of what what is it that you want to do yeah yeah. so we kind of reset into a different format and we're like okay this is how we want to work now let's go Yeah, yeah and that just happened to be like maybe i guess a version that kind of stood out for for the guide and they were like okay here you go yeah 
And that was nice. <laughs> it, 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 was, um, it was an incredible year for us. We were very lucky and very fortunate. It was, uh, what was it, 2020? No, 2020, yeah. Or 2019 or 2020. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, but it was the same year that we got the three and that we got the number one again. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it's sick. Like, congrats. But Thank you so much. It, it was, it's, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with uh, my partner yesterday, who's also a chef. Uh, and we're talking about the different culinary capitals. So we talk mm -hmm. about France, we talk about here, maybe places like Japan who are kind of doing their own unique food. We compared France and Copenhagen because most people would talk about France being like the culinary capital of the world. And then I was reading some article which was talking about Copenhagen being, oh, they made some argument for Copenhagen being the culinary capital. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is that they were saying because of the innovation mm -hmm. and, the, and the forward thinking nature. So I don't know, it made me, made me really appreciate Copenhagen in that sense because when, you, when you really dissect it and think about it. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's, maybe I, I think about this too much. Maybe you're like, man, no, I, I, I think, just want to cook good food. I Go think home. you're right. <laughs> I mean, France is great, but because, you know, France is always this bastion of old school cooking in the mm. sense where it's like the classics, the culinary uh, epicenter, you know, back in the day where it's like you learn how to properly cook fish. It's like the perfect cuisson of everything yeah, and everything. Yeah. But the, the thing about bastions like that, they're also extremely set in your ways. You're very unlikely to change and you're not so open to foreign ideas or the confluence of different cultures and what. And my experience in Copenhagen is everybody's so open. Everybody from chefs down to farmers. And we would go up to like some of the producers that we work with and we'd be like, can you grow this for me? And uh, we have a colleague in Japan actually. Uh, he used to run a restaurant there. And one of the things we do here is we would take blackcurrant wood and we would basically smash it up and infuse it with oil. And over here, we've always, you know, spoken to producers and they're like, yeah, sure, come into, come into my backyard and take this. And in Japan, they had so much resistance because they couldn't understand what you were trying to do with this wood. You know, it was, uh, of course, Japan being a rather closed up society, I would guess it's the kind of the Asian equivalent of, of France in a way. Sure. But when you have uh, a, a group of individuals that are, you know, a little bit more open and to trying different things to work in, in a very collaborative manner with chefs, producers, whatever, and like, okay, grow this for me, even though it's weird. And we're like, yeah, sure. And then it works out, and then we're like, okay, let's let's do a whole year of that. W <laughs> would you be committed to that? And then we're like, yeah, absolutely. And then you have that on the supply chain, and then you have people in the restaurant who are like, uh, diners included who come in and they're really receptive to things that are not normally steak and potatoes and, and things like that. So it makes our life a lot easier. And people come, uh, of course, because they want to be challenged in a way, but also that's not to say they won't leave with a good meal. But uh, it's, it's always a lot of, uh, of fun just interacting with different like avenues here and there. So Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the important thing out of that as well when you talk about what you're doing here as opposed to, you know, sticking to what's been solid and important for, you know, that time and place of, of France, mm -hmm. is that sticking to your guns and just knowing that at least you find it interesting and engaging, you know, and like, I think that's pretty important to growth yeah. as well. Like if you just kind of stick to what everyone else has been doing, you don't, that's where, that's where complacency, not complacency, it's kind of complacency where you're just like, oh, this is kind of a bit boring. Yeah, you know, and I think it's also human nature in a way. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. 
it kind of it kind of reminds me from like a, just being being a chef working at a cafe uh and if a customer complains yeah you turn your head chef and he's like oh maybe we need to adjust the menu or change the menu because <laughs> you can't have this and then you come to maybe a, a, a you know place like this where it's so unique obviously not everyone is going to leave being like oh this is exactly my kind of food because mm -hmm. it's so unique like i'm sure you'd have people come here and be like maybe this was a bit too out of the out of the uh comfortable range for me like the kind of food they might be eating yeah didn't like i assume you might have that a lot like, yeah of course i mean you can't make everybody happy yeah that is, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the reality of the situation but we i would like to say we have a very high baseline in a sense that what we try to do here is is different from what you would try to do in like a three-star restaurant in France mm. or anything of that sort. We're not just interested in um, making delicious food. Of course, that's the baseline. Everything that you're going to put in your mouth will elicit a reaction that this is delicious. But a company with a whole host of other emotions, different textures that you might not be used to and things like that. But um, that's just how we've always liked to cook and in a sense, you know. For us, making just delicious food is easy. That's kind of what what the baseline is, I, I guess, in most restaurants, you know. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. Sometimes we have uh, individuals that you know may not necessarily fully comprehend the experience, but that's okay, you know. That's fine. And then we try to build another unique experience around them, and that's why for us, when you come here, you're not just coming for the food. It's the the uh, opportunity to be able to, you know, be serviced in this environment and this entire experience all encompassing. It's food, it's beverage, it's service, it is, you know, just the, the overall vibe and and that's cool about it. It is pretty nice. I only realized this recently and it's just from talking to a bar owner in Melbourne, uh, Bertie, Luke Weedy, and he made a really good point that this will probably stay with me forever. You know, I think it was the key to a really good experience in a venue, whether it's a bar or restaurant. The key word he said was like time and place. Yeah. Right. And it's one of those, once again, it's one of those things you are aware of, but you don't think about it mm -hmm. until someone points it out to you and you go, that makes a lot of sense where all of the most memorable experiences you have are because it was so unique to that time and place. Mm -hmm. You know, like his example would be having like a Negroni in Milan, mm -hmm. but for here it might be almost every dish. Yeah. Here, you know, like every dish is unique to this restaurant. You will probably not have it again elsewhere. You know, so, and the experience and the atmosphere and like you said, the being service, like it's unforgettable, you know, and that's one of the most important things to walk away with at the end of the day for a venue, you know, like, yeah. like you said, food has to be delicious, but that's, that's literally the first thing you have to do. Yeah. If you're not doing delicious food, you're not really yeah. doing a good job. Exactly. But I, yeah, I think that's so important that the time and place, because when you, when you, dine here that's what you want to walk away with you know yeah i i, I agree with you a hundred percent for us dining is a little bit more than just food and beverage and it's but you, you know we try to do everything to kind of get guests excited about certain things and even when they start walking down the path which is you know extremely beautiful now surrounded by flowers it's like okay now you're at noma <laughs> and this is it. You, you're walking down by yourself you hear the birds you hear the bees you hear, you know, bugs flying around. You're surrounded by a field of sunflowers and you're like, this is amazing. This is cool. And for this two to three hours in your life, you're going to sit down and you're going to be in this little magical bubble of your own. And, and you know, I think that's the, the basics of going out to eat, isn't it? To, to kind of just be removed from your day-to-day -day routines and just like, this is incredible for two to three hours to be surrounded by people that you want to be surrounded by, you know, whether you're celebrating or not and just... 
just have a great time. Yeah. And and I think if we've done that for for our guests, that that is that is incredible, you know. And you always hear people leave and saying that this is the best experience of their lives, and that's great. And it, uh, it that's always very humbling, you know, because you, you you of course you have people that say this is the best meal of your lives, but then for the most it's like this is the most incredible day, it is the most incredible experience, and it's all encompassing. It's like you leave kind of radiant, and you leave kind of like oh man, this is this is so nice, like your kid in Disney World. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. Is that is that how you felt the first first uh, week of you working here? No, I mean that was uh that was a completely different experience <laughs> altogether. It, yes in a sense, but um in in just complete like so impressed with everything. Sure. I mean, I started as an intern, so it was very very different. And this was, you know, coming into a fully bustling kitchen with like, you know, 20 30 chefs. You're part of 30 other interns and you're just trying to get up to speed with, first of all, who's everybody, you know, okay, who, who do I report to? Who's this person here? Where's the bathroom? This and that, <laughs> you know, so, but the pace of which things go here was, was, was like incredible. It was blistering in sense of like, it, not just in service, but everyone was, you know, pushing up and down, running to get things going and making sure that we're set up on time. Um, but just the organization, the systems of the place was nothing like I've ever experienced before. Yeah. So it was that, I think ultimately for me, was one of the reasons I stayed after in, uh, my internship. I was like, this is, this is unlike any restaurant in the world, you know, just the way that we operate. It's really cool. And there's a, there's a very tangible form of energy that just, you know, goes through the kitchen and mm. where everyone is kind of uh, united by, which is really, really fun. I think that's important you know like walking into a kitchen and kind of feeling that exciting energy that mm -hmm. you know that trembling of it, it's so hard it's because such a visceral thing yeah you know such a visceral thing to be a part of this team working towards this mm -hmm. beautiful goal it's sometimes hard to explain to words especially when you're in it yeah you know when you when you look around at everybody and they're hustling and they're pulling shit together and sometimes pulling shit out of their ass to get make things happen <laughs> and you know and you're like you get to the end of the day and you're having your hot ones you know you're sharing your drink and you're like fuck that was that was that was something that was something yeah fucking earth yeah it's like ah oh, it's just like such a such a rewarding feeling you know like, it is i love my team and you know earlier in the summer days we would do this uh, where it was still warm enough just by the lake there we would all go for a saturday night swim with a beer in hand oh really like, jump in the water <laughs> together it's just so nice it's that's sick great. especially when uh it was like peak of summer and it was close to like 30 degrees and it was warm you know so we need to cool off after and just kind of just all go in together it was it was a nice moment yeah they're, be they're beautiful they're beautiful moments man like mm -hmm. especially when you look back at your team and yeah. just think like fuck you might scroll through the photos like I did <laughs> you'll scroll scroll through the photos of your gallery back oh i completely forgot that we got up to that mischief or that we oh that was that day that we, yeah i oh, remember that like shit like i, I love, i've got ones where it's like we had a chef and the, the head chef asked him just to toast some oats in the oven mm -hmm. and like 10 minutes later he opens the oven they're on fire in the oven it's like, <laughs> oh, no. and everyone's just like what how do you how do you fuck that up like, yeah and you just start laughing and everyone's just got their phone out and you're like oh my god like this is this is funny mm -hmm. like it's so you can't even be mad like no, no. you're just like oh this is actually hilarious yeah. like just moments like that and that i like like you say like it's it is genuinely just like a beautiful moment where you're mm -hmm. just like i mean not that 
catching out on fire in the oven's a beautiful moment. But no, but it, it's special it, in its yeah, own way. You can reflect yeah. on it and go, oh, damn, that was hilarious. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like you said, I think that's that beautiful thing. So I'm glad that that's how you felt kind of coming into that. that you yeah, knew. of course. Not that it wouldn't be tough or that there wouldn't be nights where you would say, this is probably one of the hardest nights of my career because mm-hmm. I've had plenty of those, you know, from being an apprentice to now. Like, But that's part of the journey. That's part of the progression. That's part of the yeah. discipline. And you yeah. almost want it to be challenging, you do. right? If yeah, it's, yeah. it was easy, then it's probably nothing that much you're going to get out of it. Yeah. You know, so. And do you, uh, do you feel like things have gotten easier now? Like, do you, does a part of you, like maybe a part for me, uh, and I'll, I'll say this, that, for example, the labor-intensive prep, which would mm-hmm. still be here, but it might not be for other restaurants as there were 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, with the, you just have to do what you can to make sure that your business runs, so with mm-hmm. the shortages and shit. But does a part of you ever sit back and go, I do sometimes wish things were just a little bit tougher just because I feel there are a lot of young chefs coming now that like have it easy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like- I do. And I, I guess it's, it's a question that we kind of constantly struggle with because there's always this tendency to be like, oh, back in the day or back when I was a komi, I did this and, and, and you're doing this now, which is very different. But one of the things I constantly tell my managers, we can't say that anymore. We can't because there were a lot of things back in the day that, you know, were norm that uh, obviously we we wouldn't do now anymore. And that's not how we want to work in a sense. It's like the litmus I always ask them is how would you, what would you subject uh, to your your wife, your partner, your, your, your daughters or, you know, what, how would you, how would you communicate with them in a way? And how would you coach them? How would you teach them? Would you subject them to this kind of uh, environment? And that's, that's always like what we want to achieve is we want a challenging environment, but we create something that people can thrive in and people can, you know, are free to fail and you're not afraid. And, and when we've kind of made that shift here, you, you automatically see people stepping up because you're not necessarily afraid now in a sense where, I know it w- it's hard, but if I fail, I know my managers have my back. I know my team has my back. We're going to get to somewhere. And if uh, there's any sentiments of disappointment, which there always is, it will always be disappointment that, you know, I didn't perform in this way. Not disappointment that someone is yelling at me or someone is asking me to leave or this and that. And it, it, it has been a, a really subtle, but a, also at the same time, a really poignant shift in, I guess, in this direction and... Yeah, it has been easier, but uh, the way I've always seen it is we've been working on kind of borrowed time and borrowed labor and borrowed wages and, and, and everything in that sense. It's about time that it gets a little bit more, I won't say easier, but a little bit more organized, a little bit back to baseline. You know, for I, I think you and I, we've probably worked in, you know, in some pretty old school environments and, you know, the way I've always described it is that's in the negative. And now we're, we're slowly making our way back to zero. Yeah. And then we can start to, to grow a little bit more on that front. And it's something I say too, that's creativity as well. That's yeah. innovation as well. And it's not just about what's on the food. It's about rethinking about systems, rethinking about how you run a restaurant. That's, I would say, arguably a harder form of creativity. Yeah. Because then there's always this tendency to just snap back to what you've done 10 years ago it's like you can't get it done no problem we come in two hours earlier yeah but the harder thing would be to like okay let's put our heads together let's look at each other's prep list what can we do here what can we do here and then when you have the backing of someone like Renee who tells you like okay if you can't do it that's fine let's figure out something else let's let's see what we can do to 
to make it uh, so that everyone can come in at 10 instead of 8 in the morning, you know. And that's good because then everything is kind of aligned where it's like the team is first. We're still going to find a way to make mind-blowing food. But uh, there's, there's a point where it's like a, a point of diminishing returns where you have to put in 10 hours more man hours only for 1 or 2% increment and something that the guests probably won't see. And it's uh, something that we're learning constantly and, and that we're very okay now being like, okay, let's shift this, let's shift that. And yeah, that's yeah. completely fine. Yeah. And, and we see it. The team suddenly, it's like, okay, now we're, we're confident professionals. We, we talk about certain things. We do certain things. And everyone is like, what if I did this instead of that? Is that okay? You know? and, but of course, there's, there's still, it's, it's still challenging. But that's not to say uh, that it's easy. But at the same time, it is it is set up in a way where we try to set everyone up for success. Well, what would you say to that, uh, that chef that stitched you up on 70 artichokes at 11 Madison Park? <laughs> well, it was different. I mean, for I, I think at that point in time, someone called out in the morning or something and everyone was, people had bad days and, and whatever. And it was okay, to be honest. <laughs> It was, it was, it wasn't great, but... I remember reading it like being that. like, oh, such a stitch up. Yeah, it was the morning commies and, and I was there. But it was also good because uh, at that point in time, you know, I, I think I, I, when I, when I did that interview, I said there was one of my colleagues, Sunny, who jumped on and helped yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And that was really awesome because this was like, what, 10, 12 years ago and... People don't help you back then in those days. <laughs> and it was really, it was just so nice. It was a really cool, teachable moment for me that, you know, someone could pat you on the back and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to help you out. Just focus on what you need to do now and what you need to do next. And then we're just going to carry on. We're going to get you out of it, even though it seems like impossible, insurmountable, you know. And here I am, you know, so <laughs> I didn't go down. I didn't leave after 70 chokes. So it was, it was good. You know? Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I just, I just remember being on stations and then like, you know, especially if you have like the day shift and you don't do service and like you've, you've got your stuff to do and it's like the person leaving at six, you're kind of like, all right, cool. You've got, got your stuff that you need to do. Just make sure you get it done before you go. And there's always <laughs> those one or two days where like they just happen to leave and you look over and they're like, oh shit, they still haven't even cleaned the baby veg. You're like, yeah. fuck, got to figure it out, got to figure it out now. Sorry, yeah. chef. So funny. But it's just a testament to just like those moments where you can recollect and, and you can look at, it's crazy. I do, I do this all the time, but when you make a dish, you might do this now, right? Mm -hmm. You can look down at your dish and you can genuinely pull apart each element and tell yourself exactly where you learned that from and what restaurant or who taught you that mm -hmm. or how you know that, that skill or trick. You could mm -hmm. have remembered a YouTube video that you watched or you remember working at a restaurant and go, oh, you know, it's crazy. I actually remember that chef taught me that. Yeah. And it's crazy I'm using that now. Yeah. And it could be the flavors. It could be the plating style. It could be the plates. And, you know, and you can literally just dissect and, and tell yourself exactly when and where you learned mm -hmm. this and, and from who. And it's kind of the same when you're operating as a chef. I've, I've talked about this before, but the way I fold my chucks for my mm -hmm. station or my tea towel, mm -hmm. like I know exactly who taught me how to do that. Yeah. And uh, do you know what I mean? But it's such yeah, a... You can, you can tell that about, you know, if you go to the restaurant, you could do that with plates too. Yeah. You could be like, oh, this looks like a technique from this so-and-so. It's like, or Josh Nyland probably did this somewhere and, you know, things like that. And you could see it with cooks that are trained in specific restaurants too. Oh, they, really? They have a specific way of, just like what you're talking about, folding your towels or like the way that they set up your boards, your knives, your spoons. You know, they're the only one who use green tape. 
Yeah, uh, green tape, or you know, <laughs> we would always used to be able to tell uh, the guys from per se or the laundry because you know, whenever they put metal down, you're not allowed to make a sound, you know. So whenever they put their their uh, hotel pants on the surfaces, they would always be like, okay, move fast, but in the last second, you just be extremely quiet. Or you know, the people that never put metals on on top of boards and they come from a specific place, and you know, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's fun to tell. <laughs> it's like, okay, I know you worked here, you know. That's I didn't I didn't know. This. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. I there, love those little things. Yeah, it's always these little things, and because you know, after a restaurant has grown and it's like in its ten years or whatever, you obviously have a huge group of alumni, and and they all train within you know the same walls, and they have the same tendencies, or even the way people speak or the way that people talk. You know, so it's uh, it's it's funny when you're like you catch on. <laughs> Okay, I know you worked with this person because no one else in the world would say that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny. Yeah, I, I think that's excellent. I think that's excellent. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I, I guess to say it the same for you, like, you know, especially working around the world, like, mm -hmm. what do Singapore, New York, mm -hmm. here, and going to these different kind of kitchens and seeing how they run would be also super eye-opening in how the restaurant runs or how people communicate and talk and. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all been very different. Um, there are, of course, similarities, but every restaurant operates differently. And I guess it's best to kind of, uh, and I made that, I made that realization a long time ago where, you know, you go from one place to another, it's just different cultures and different things that people do. It's not good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. Uh, and same in Singapore, they would run a, a very different system in, in terms of even just ordering things or even even the way that we would approach mise en place. And then over here or over at 11 Madison, it's more like uh, your classic three style uh, way where you have a team of commies in the morning and you have a, a commie team that does a good amount of prep for you. And of course, you have your systems that are laid out in a more traditional French brigade. You have your meat roast uh, line, which is your roast, your entremetier, and then you have your fish roast, entremetier, and then hot apps, and then you have like maybe four or five people on garmage, and then four or five people on pastry. You know, uh, that's like the most classic, I, I would say, style that I've worked in. And then there's here, which is uh, completely a different ballgame altogether, where we no longer have like stations or anything kind of build around equipment. We just call it section one, two, three, and four. And yeah, the right. way that we've kind of attacked everything is just as a team. Sure. So we kind of get set up within our sections, but we do service as an entirety. Yeah. So uh, it's not so much like, okay, just because you have this dish on section one, it doesn't mean that's only section one that's responsible for executing the dish and service because uh, we we want to do dinner uh, or we want to do the meals at a, a very, like, at a good pace where uh, I always want to say that you don't feel that you're waiting for food. Uh, it doesn't matter the, the time lapse between because, of course, if you're having really great conversation and at the pace at which you're eating is, you know, a little bit more uh, pace, that's fine. But uh, when, you know, when you have to kind of have this awkward pauses in between and you look at each other and you scroll at your phone, then we're failing. <laughs> then that's not good. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, and if you are only kind of relying on these people on the sections to only do their work, then there's going to be a time where there will be a bottleneck. Yeah, know? yeah. So if you have this, uh, it's it's almost like watching uh, uh, everything kind of like a black and white movie, but in slow motion where there's no sound and you just see people just like buzzling around like uh, and from one place to another, bouncing off the counters. It's really cool. It's uh, I I enjoy this system a lot. There's a good amount of chaos, but 
a tremendous amount of planning and efficiency so that at the end you can just have this drop of uh, craziness and people it looks like chaos but everybody knows exactly what you're doing and it's it's uh it's so much fun it's like a like a theater show like yeah but like you got the front of the customer sees and you have the back where everyone's like getting costume changes and like mm -hmm. getting into their positions and you've got your props and you're like, all right, you ready? You ready, guys? Let's go, yeah. let's go. You know, like that's what it feels like to me. Like this yeah. the theater show, you know, being, being in the back. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's very, very funny. I, I have to, I have to ask, uh, you started in a, a bistro mm -hmm. when you were mopping and scrubbing the floors at the end of the night, right? Mm -hmm. I only asked because I found myself doing the same thing. I started at a cafe and I remember just like, putting on music, everyone's gone. So the apprentice just has to clean up before mm -hmm. he goes. And I remember just like thinking, I'm like, ah, oh, having these big dreams, like where would I like to be as a chef in five <laughs> years, right? And I, back then, I remember it being Attica. I think I watched like Chef's Table or something mm -hmm. like that. And But I wondered the same for you. Like, was it early on or, or when did you start having like big dreams when you wanted to, you had a restaurant in mind that you'd like to work at? And if you did eventually get there, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you would have had the same. I'm yeah, sure I'm I not, mean, I I'm think, sure I'm not the only one. No, but. no. <laughs> that story of mine is probably not very unique at all. I think uh, when I was working in a bistro, that was probably when like the first like French Laundry cookbook came out. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's it's like that moment for most people. It's one of those very uh, like classic tombs of knowledge that everyone's like, "This is incredible!" Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Why have I never thought about food in this way? And you know. And then we started, I started to like look into more things. And, and of course, you know, you'd be like, oh, it would be amazing to work there. And then uh, you start to do a little bit more research about, you know, okay, who's this Thomas Keller guy? What, what does he do? Where does he come from? You know, and then uh, adjacent to that, then you have, you know, Grant Ackett's doing all these crazy things. And then that's when everyone starts to fiddle with a little bit more gels <laughs> and know, things like that. I know, I know like I went through that stage. And, I'm not the only one. And then you're in a bistro plating up a steak frites and you're like, oh, what if I did this and yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, no. Like, when you think about that back uh, from, from now, in hindsight, it's like, man, that kid's stupid, you know? But, um, but no, it, it's, I had very similar stories, I think, from when I was, uh, when I was just working in a bistro. And, but I, I always kind of knew I wanted to uh, go abroad in a sense where it's like, okay, back then the Singapore dining scene wasn't so developed as it is now, and there wasn't a lot of options. But I also knew uh, back very early on that, you know, foods, uh, foodways and everything was kind of defined by cultures of places. And the Singapore culture would be very different, obviously, from the American culture. And so moving to New York was like, oh, was was an incredible moment. Uh, but of course, I went to New York first to to go to culinary school, to go to like college there in university. And then, yeah, uh, back then was like to pick a place to kind of like, you know, do your internship or like your apprenticeship. And then there were all these places that was like, okay, uh, and this was me coming out from a restaurant Andre in Singapore already. So I, I kind of knew that. I like fine dining. I, I, I knew that that was kind of what I wanted to do. So then you had all these options, you know, in New York. You had, of course, your classics and like uh, Danielle and like Le Bernardin and all these kind of places. But the two places that I was really set on was Per Se and Eleven Madison. Oh, right. Yeah. And this was in like, what, 2010, 2011 or something like that. And... And I was like, okay, I, I want to go there because it seems like I would learn how to really be like a good commie or like a good cook. I would learn how to like organize everything, learn how to write prep lists, learn how to do this, learn how to do that, or even learn how to fuck, like scrub down a bench and things like that, you know? So yeah, I mean, 
you, back then it was just always constantly reading and constantly, and this was before like social media and before like, you know, Instagram was like very popular and we were just like, just go on the internet and look at YouTube and, and look at things or, you know, just figure out what are people cooking? You know, you would Google 11 Madison food and, and a bunch of things <laughs> would pop up. Like, how do I do this? How do you do that? You know, so it's, it was cool. You know? Yeah. You talking, sorry, it's going to go off track here, but no worries. you talking about uh, trying to do a fancy steak fritz mm-hmm. makes me seem like at some stage you, you really fancied up a dish that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, constantly. What, what's, what's, what's the dish that you fancied up? Uh, for me, it was in someone at uh, this cafe, uh, someone asked uh, for, for an extra avocado mm-hmm. for their big breakfast or whatever the hell they yeah, were getting. Yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'll make the avocado look cool. So like, <laughs> I got the avocado, like sl- sliced it thin, made a rose out of it, and then like, n- like pureed avocado and like did a grand atchets like drop on the table, like drop mm-hmm. on the plate thing and then put the avocado there and gave that to them. And I remember seeing their face being like, oh, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And they're just like, looking what in the kitchen like, that? what are yeah. these guys doing? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I couldn't remember, but I, I think most of the times where I've done, like had free reign, to, because obviously, when you're in a tasting menu restaurant, everything's kind of like set and like, so I think the opportunities came when there's like dietaries and they're like, sure, sure, they're sure. like, okay, you need to figure out the salad, just make something, just go in there and just like do things. And then, you know, we put some stuff and, and turn like lettuce leaves. So it's like a perfect curl and things like that. Overly elaborate things for what someone would probably just want a simple salad with a dressing <laughs> and just like all these crazy cubes and stuff like that. It looks cool, but it's like, you could have done the same with just like a nice uh, wedge of gem lettuce with a lemon vinaigrette and like a couple of sliced chives and, and stuff like that, you know? So probably one of those things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just running through my head the amount of, <laughs> the amount of times that, that that's happened to me. Just over, overcomplicating a customer's expectations with what you think they want from you when they yeah. ask for something. And it's just like, oh no. But it's it's part of uh, the development of a, a young chef. You know, you always want to like show people what you got and like, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's happened to many people, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, even even little things like that, like I've got to say, like even just for the amount of times I've talked about dietaries, but you know, on a positive sense, that's the blessing mm-hmm. of when you get them thrown at you is that like it allows you to step out and do something that you're not comfortable with, yeah. you know, because that's, that's the beauty of it. Sometimes it might be a pain in the ass when you, <laughs> when you, when you got shit to do, and yeah. you, you've like, you've got your your steps. You do this every day. You know exactly what to do when the order comes in. You know mm. how to time manage. But it's like someone throws a spanner in. Like it's like you're already juggling five balls. Someone throws another in without you asking. You're like, oh shit! All right, gotta go, gotta go. And you just kind of have to juggle with it. But yeah. that's that's the beauty of it because I think a lot of cool skills or mm-hmm. a lot of cool perspectives or a lot of cool dishes and ideas have come out of yeah. something like that because you're forced to think about something so quickly, which means you don't have time to do it how you usually would. Yeah. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's an exercise of thinking like on the spot, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, back then it was also, you know, tasting menu and a la carte together. So you you were already juggling a million things. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I think most tasting menu restaurants, aside from the very classic French ones, are tasting menu only. They don't offer this a la carte option. So I remember it was like back in 11 Madison, we would like, okay, get like 10 tasting menus and then there would be like bar menus and a la carte menus and, and people who, you know, just wanted one dish and this and then you had to try and juggle everything yeah, while, yeah. while you were trying to get food out. And that was that was pretty hectic, but it was a good lesson as compared to you know what we do here now. It's like 
It's everything is is planned, premeditated, deliberate. Even dietaries now we know everything about uh, yeah. diners the moment they uh, before they come into the restaurant. So. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever do you ever still get the last minute surprise dietary? Yeah, of course. Constantly. And if so, is that still? But we prepare for everything. So, ah, yeah, 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 just in case. So, yeah. like, uh, we would do every single possible dietary, uh, and we would think about okay, what that dietary would be in reference to this dish, and we would have everything already prepped. Yeah, in right. a sense. Yeah. yeah, that's clever. Freezers, I tell you what. Yeah, they're they good to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got your dietary box. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. What do we got? I, I have to. Uh, I have to ask. Have you seen the bear? I have actually. Yeah. Oh man. My wife kind of likes that film, <laughs> even though it, it triggers me a little bit. Oh man. Yeah. I have to be. I have to say, like, it's probably the only chef media. I mean, other than what, like, for a fictional show. Yeah. That I've watched where I'm like, oh, like you're really, like, yeah. You, whoever's writing this. Fucking knows. Like they, they have they been in kitchens, like, you can tell, yeah. Oh, like you could watch Burnt and you could be like, Oh, that was okay, you yeah. know, a representation, but yeah. watching the bear was like just yeah. the little, even when the dishy came out and he's like, then someone forgot to take the tape off the containers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like <laughs> I was I like It's very good. Oh it's man, very just, good. Oh, I loved it. Like yeah. it's so funny. Like I, I I wonder, like, uh, it's it's funny because I think it's a show you can only really understand if you've been a chef for a while. Like, mm-hmm. like all those little things, like just like walking around outside with your clogs on still. And yeah, just, like, you can go over and over in your head about all the things. But I, th- I think that's a. I hope there's more media like that. Yeah, I think it's been renewed for a second season. Oh so man, we, I can't wait. Eh? Yeah, for sure, you'll see some more of that. Stuff. And for that, for that to come from like Maddie Matheson mm-hmm. as well, like. He's a legend. That guy's like hilarious. <laughs> so good. <laughs> He's been here several times, and every time really? he comes, it's just like a hoot. I mean, we we collaborate with him, and sometimes in Mad, and uh, you know, and he, he's been here to have dinner, and he's always so much fun to just serve. Oh, just really? Time. Like genuinely, such a nice guy. Yeah, he seems like he seems like such a legend. Like yeah. it would be so much fun to have him just like come around. Yeah, like, he's just like how how he how he is in like what you see on Instagram. That's exactly how he is. <laughs> With the high-pitched voice, the singing, and just, like, being very, like, big personality. That's exactly how he is. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I've been watching him and uh, Benny Blanco on that, that stupid fucking cooking yeah, show. Yeah, 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 So yeah. funny, man. It's so good. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Oh, man, I imagine he'd be mad. But, so what? So he's in Mad, as in the group that... No, so back in the day, we would have, like, Mad Symposium. So we would invite chefs from everywhere to come and cook and to talk about certain things and this and that. And uh, uh, there was this one year that he was actually, you know, here oh, with right. us. Yeah. So okay. It's kind of like our version of, you know, Madrid Fusion or whatever. Sure. And, and, and like just a, a whole conference of chefs. And, and yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant, I thought you meant Mad as in, I thought there was this, like, I might, I might have misinterpreted this, but this culinary group, and I remember like, Magnus Nilsson. Yeah, there is. Oh, so is that same one? It, it is related to, to oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. But okay, so okay. now MAD has kind of been streamlined into like MAD Academy, which is what right. we call it, which is kind of like a, a training ground or training school for industry professionals where we do like uh, basically week-long courses for, you know, people like you and me and we would go sit down uh, to talk a little bit about sustainability and okay. what this word, giant word of sustainability means and how it's actually applicable to our day-to-day operation. Or then there's another one, which is the management and leadership training, gotcha. which is for people who are a little bit more advanced and, you know, looking at P&L statements and, and like the bottom line and stuff and how to, you know, make ends meet and what is like some of the most common shortcomings of people who open businesses and stuff. And that's like what they do over there and what they teach. 
and they engage different people from uh, everywhere, you know, culinary professionals, industry professionals that have done very well and have, uh, you know, um, had a lot of experience dealing with these specific topics, like Doug McMaster from Silo. Mm -hmm. So he's one of the faculty staff for, you know, the sustainability courses. So he would talk about things like that. So, yeah, so that exists. But before there was Matt Academy, there was Matt Symposium. And all of this led up to Matt Academy now. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, before we maybe go on a bit mm -hmm. of a walk and talk, because we can still talk yeah, yeah, at the same course. time. I did want to I did want to ask one, one question, which I generally, otherwise I'll forget if we get caught up in mm -hmm. One question I ask every chef or everyone that comes on the, on the podcast, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a retrospective look at the highlights or, or funny moments of their career. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what's the funniest or craziest time you found yourself most in the shit? <laughs> you can look back and go, man, I've really come a long way. Or it could have even happened yesterday. Yeah. And you're still like, how do I, how do I keep finding myself here? You know. <laughs> but, so if you have a story or two, you could you you could share from your career. I mean, I've had so many of those stories, but most of them in New York. Less of them here, unfortunately, or fortunately, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I I remember specific ones where you know we, when we I was cooking at Bentney, I was a sous chef then, and I was in charge of all these offsite events that we had to do. And uh, back then we would do a lot of offsites, just you know, just to get our name out there and to do a lot of uh, different kinds of catering or small bites for specific things and. There was this one particular dish that was uh, was a mushroom dixel that was on top of uh, kind of a, a savory custard of matsutake with a broth of matsutake. I remember that so well because I was so upset at the direction that was given to me because all these mushrooms had to be perfectly diced and brunoise and we were catering for like 500 people on top of doing service. So back then it was like we had the AM crew and uh, we had the PM crew. So we would, the AM crew was like the more senior people. Uh, we would set the sections up, get everything ready for the PM crew, and they would come in at two and basically take over. So I was in charge of the AM crew and we would get everything set up. And then after that, the AM crew had to stay behind and dice these stupid brunoise of, uh, of, of uh, mushrooms just to kind of get in time for the, the dinner tomorrow or whatever. And I was just, this is so stupid. We're going to cover it anyway. Why are we doing this? And we were so in the shits in the sense where we were cooking it and dicing it. And we're looking at each other. And it's like, the, the dices don't even stay after they're cooked. And, and we're just completely just over the top, just trying to get, get everything going. So we ended up staying in a restaurant until like 1 or 2 in the morning and just trying to get everything going. And it was like, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was exactly one of the moments where you think back in time where we were having a lot of fun because we were actually cooking on the office space above us because obviously they needed to have uh, the kitchen space for service. So we all went up to the office space on the second floor and we're like dicing in the middle of the room, playing music. It was, it was like, we're so in the shits that we were laughing that we, it was almost delirious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In one of those moments, like, how are we going to get out of this? I don't know, but we might as well have fun. You know, <laughs> just kind of get things going. And, and it's just one of many, many stories that I, I can share. Yeah. Well, it goes to show you how, uh, <laughs> how, how nice it'd be to be here. But yeah, no, it's cool. Well, if you want to go for Yeah, a, let's a go take now. a walk. I mean, this is your first time in Copenhagen, I would imagine. Yeah. Right? First yeah. time here. Uh, so this version of Noma is obviously not the original version. This is, I think, what most people will call Noma 2.0 or, or something oh, okay. like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. So the first uh, Noma was actually back in Strangil where Bar is now. And I think about, you know, 
uh, for no seven years or eight years ago now uh, at the old location we and this was when Noma has uh, accumulated a list of accolades and things and, and awards and whatnot. And Renee has, you know, gone to a point where it's like, this place is now limiting. We need to kind of move outside and try to see where we can, what we can do, where we can grow into a new space. And this place where we are standing on actually didn't exist. It was left abandoned, uh, uh, except for that one particular building, which I'll take you to, the long building that we walked through. It was used as a munition storage back in the day uh, for the Royal Danish Navy to store sea mines. Shit. Yeah. So <laughs> after World War II, it was abandoned, and yeah, the kids yeah. moved in, and they would have rave parties here, DJs, dancing. That sounds, sounds like heaven, Megan. And, and that's why you have all this graffiti on the wall that we've kind of left as a, a souvenir of, of the identity of the place. Oh, wow. But So Peter Kreiner, who's our uh, CEO, he came and he was like, this is a great place for a staff party, but hey, what if, you know, what if we, we build up this place and in a different, you know, in a different style where we're looking for something where we could really grow into to create this, I would say, carte blanche of a, of a kitchen and a facility where we could do basically everything. And, and we set, set out on that path. And one of the architects that we worked with, uh, or the main architect, I would say, so he's uh, Bjark Ingels, who's Danish as well. He runs a restaurant, uh, run an architectural firm called Bjark Ingels Group, or BIG. And he worked together with Renee to basically kind of deck out the entire plan and, and the layout of the restaurant. And it's kind of modeled after a, a Danish village of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So where we are or where we're from, I guess we live in basically uh, houses or apartments like four walls and everything's kind of connected in a sense where, you know, you would step out of your bedroom and that's your living room or your, <laughs> your bathroom. So, but if you go to, say, Bornholm or whatever, or the Faroe Islands in, in some of the more rural parts, you would see clusters of buildings and not just one. And each building had a specific purpose. So let's say, you know, this would be your, your bedroom. You would have to step literally outside into like the garden or the grass to go to like your kitchen or to go into your outhouse or to go into uh, another living space. Yeah. In fact, you can actually see some of those buildings, uh, some of those like apartment styles in, in like Ama here. But that was kind of the idea. So we had basically 10 different buildings and 10 different buildings that were seven of which were connected basically by this glass wall because it's not realistic to expect guests to have to step outside if yeah, it was yeah. pouring rain but on top of like uh, individual unique purposes we gave them unique aesthetics as well so where we are is essentially the main dining room of the restaurant yeah so it sits about like 43 to 48 guests depending on the arrangement and it's the most quintessential interior of like uh, Danish design, I would say. So you have a lot of neutral wood tones, a lot of um, natural light, floor to ceiling windows, um, and just warm tones. And this is where the bulk of uh, the guests would sit. We have three different dining rooms, this being uh, the main one. And where we were in there, it's kind of, uh, it used to be a private dining room with one big table in the middle, but of yeah, course yeah. now it's six. Uh, COVID kind of put an end to that, uh, oh, that right, shared right. space. But it was fun and it was also a little bit hectic in the sense where you could have uh, 30 or 20 people that were like shared. So let's say if you were a single diner and you wanted to come, 
uh, we would put you on like a wait list. And if we didn't sell the, the, the private dining room to like one particular company or an event space, then we would open it up for a shared table. So you oh, could excellent. dine with 19 other people. And it could be really amazing in the sense where if everyone is really enthusiastic and having a lot of fun, it could also be really shit where you have like a problem, <laughs> problematic people, a problematic couple who's arguing and then you have to wait and, and stuff. So... Uh. Of course, COVID <laughs> kind of put an end to that because you probably wouldn't want to sit around with 19 other people that you didn't know. Um, but also, in, in, from a service perspective, it was so much easier to kind of curate experiences around individual tables than a whole 20 top. Yeah, yeah. And this is our service kitchen. So you have, this is always nice to show people because you have this threshold of like four different areas and whereas you have this neutral wood tones, the moment you step kind of outside, but of course it's covered by this glass roof, you have the service kitchen, which is kind of modeled after our time in Noma, Mexico, where we've kind of learned to grasp our niche in a sense of like how we like to structure menus. So everything is as plain as you could see. There's no real commitment to large equipments. There's no grills, there's no flat tops. There's essentially just induction burners and islands. And every, every menu that we've done, we have kind of structured it, uh, structured the kitchen around the menu and not the other way around. So if you were, you know, basically working in like a three-star restaurant in France, you would probably have, you know, like a hot, hot entree or like a meat course. And then before that, a veg main or like a fish roast uh, or, you know, a fish main. So over here, we, there's no specific number of hot and cold dishes. And like I mentioned to you before, there's only four or five sections, including production. And everything is like, everyone picks up both hot and cold dishes. And everyone picks up both hot and savory dishes or savory and sweet dishes. So, and the way that we would structure it is so that everyone can communicate basically from one end of the kitchen to another. Yeah. And yeah. the rest of the kitchens are kind of built as satellites around them. And... The extraction system is really cool here. I mean, it's built uh, for an open kitchen, obviously, but it does not allow us to do very like heavy cooking. So what we do is we have this place out here, which is our barbecue. So in the old Noma, we would have uh, the barbecue section outside where sometimes it would rain and you have an intern holding an umbrella while you're grilling ducks. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... We kind of like that. It was just very uniquely Noma in a sense. So we've kind of built this like tool shed, I guess. It's, it is outdoors and hence you can feel these, uh, the draft and the breeze. In the wintertime, it gets a little bit savage, but with the six flames and uh, the Asador style grill going, it kind of warms everything up and we do insulate it a, a little bit more. But like next season, for example, when we're starting to grill a lot of ducks, this will be the primo section to be on and really roasting birds and and but this time in vet season we roast mushrooms also equally fun the lion's manes yeah exactly yeah it's sick and this is basically the where uh, the pass is and where like the sous chefs and myself we would expedite everything because we have a good idea of where everything is i'll it's, take you to the lounge it's beautiful like it's hard not to i know, I know you might talk about uh mm. like uh, practically looking after this, but it is beautiful. It beautiful. is so nice. I, I mean, the, the entire property is really, really nice. But uh, as I like to remind some of uh, the cooks also, it's like at every restaurant you go to, you will always find some kind of practical. Flaw in it. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, would yeah, always yeah. say that there's not enough walk in space, <laughs> there's not enough working space. I mean, I asked, the have one you, oven's broken. Yeah, have yeah. you ever been to a restaurant where you didn't complain about something? Yeah, and yeah, was, yeah. Actually, no. <laughs> well, then it becomes quite clear, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a lounge. Uh, and 
One thing, the really fun thing about working here is we're never, nothing is set in stone. So when we first opened up, we would do a four-day operation lunch and dinner, and we figured that wasn't working well for the, the welfare of the staff and, and, and whatnot. So we switched to five days, uh, doing basically two turns in um, like, a, like a night for dinner, where we would do a, basically about 110 guests, 120 with a 20-top PDR. And this area would serve as kind of the spillover or the welcome area. So if guests were in the first turn that were a little bit slow, we would push them into here and they would finish with dessert in the lounge so we could fill up the dining That's nice. room. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, same for you know, people who finished their meals on the second turn and they wanted to go somewhere a little bit quieter for drinks, this would be it. But ever since COVID um, hit, we've kind of really liked having only one seating. And so we figured out, okay, how can we make ends meet with only one seating? So we turned the lounge into uh, another dining room. So we have seven tables here, mostly two tops, one four top. And it basically functions as a, a, an alternative to the main dining room. But in the summertime, it's, it's where I would say I would really like to sit because you're at the apex of basically everything. The gardens and we some when the weather is warm enough, we open up all the windows. So you're pretty much almost outdoors in the in the garden. It's getting like it's gorgeous. It, it's it's super pretty. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. Oh, oh, sorry. So this opens up. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. I just I, sorry. I thought you meant like it feels like you're in no. the garden, not you're actually you're in actually it. in the garden. Yeah. So you could <laughs> you could open this up and everything kind of goes outside. That's and you insane. Have the fresh breeze coming in and everything's just like you That's hear the birds sick. chirping. And yeah, we'll right. go into the garden later because I think it, it's so beautiful now. And of course it's now on the decline because we're going to fall season, but sure. it's still so beautiful. And this is where we normally welcome guests, which is the front area. And then, you know, we have this thing where we always welcome every single guest. We stop what we're doing and we look them in the eye and we welcome them because it's like they're coming into your home, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's weird if someone comes to eat at your place and you're still chopping away at the boards and not saying hello at the very <laughs> least. So. But this is the main uh, building that we talked about, which is the old school munition storage. And it spans about 90 meters. And this is the only building that existed from um, its original time. Uh, it is... Technically uh, a protected property is because of co conservation and like uh, heritage laws. So when we moved in, there was so much red tape that we had to kind of overcome or to cross. Uh, so many permits that we had to file to basically move things aside. So you can still see certain relics of, uh, of the past year, like the crane and the boom arms, which we weren't allowed to remove. So they were essentially used to move crates of sea mines. And That's but, insane. This is the pot wash, buildings, where Mr. Ali works, the employee number one from day one, and he's still here. Legend. Legend, like genuine legend. He's genuine. so happy. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, on some of my worst days, I will go up to Ali and tell him, Ali, I feel like shit. You need to make me laugh or you need to make me happy. And he always just gives you a big hug and he, he, you know, he will always tell you, bring you tea when you're sick or whatever. He's such a legend. Like, yeah, genuinely yeah. a really good human being. And Matt, uh, Matt's got nothing on him. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Matt's probably worked with him too. So. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is the production kitchen. So this is the meat and bones of, of where everything happens, I would yeah. say. We have a little bit more of what looks like a conventional kitchen, sure. uh, more like proper Splash industrial back. extraction, yeah, yeah. splashbacks, uh, backsplashes, and, and everything else. 
um, ice machines and whatnot. So, of course, we have an internship program here where we have essentially about 20 to 30 interns per season. We're now moving into a different program where, you, you know, we're recognizing the change in times and uh, we're no longer taking on uh, unpaid interns. So now all interns are paid. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's a really good step uh, in the right direction. So that will already happen next season where we'll bring on around like 16, 17 paid interns. Um, but we have a sous chef that basically runs the internship program along with the production kitchen here. And uh, she's basically responsible for, you know, setting up all the sections and, and getting things done. I got to say one really nice thing to walk into a, a you know an area like this is first and foremost space mm -hmm. like i don't know if you've worked mm -hmm. in really tiny kitchens. yeah i mean i worked in basement kitchens so oh really yeah where, where was that at bettany there ah, was essentially shit. a basement yeah so like going from small spaces to a space like this it's like it's almost you almost question yourself thinking like what did i do to deserve this <laughs> what did i do to deserve such space yeah i feel honored you know and believe it or not we people still complain about the space they're like oh there's not enough speed racks and we have a fucking million speed racks here. <laughs> i'm serious um yeah yeah there's not enough uh, walk-in space or not enough blast freezer space and we have like four blast freezers yeah get out of here yeah 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 Tell them to go work in a basement kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they'll learn. And then everything is kind of like part storage and part library. I mean, it's like two walk-ins here. I'm and lots of, lots of dehydrators because we do so much dehydration and That's, preservation. That is exactly what I was going. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah. May, I've, I've, I've been in places maybe that have like one dehydrator, maybe a, a, a plate a warmer that has yeah. been converted to a hot box, or like a dehydrator, but like that's just yeah, like so, so two nice. four six eight ten twelve oh you got oh you got more of course yeah. i should i shouldn't have thought you only it's, had it's the it's the busiest like uh, season for us in terms of preservation because we tried to capture the essence of summer right all the tomatoes everything all the berries we try to dry them for uh the next seasons yeah fall yeah. and winter and then we'll reset again yeah so yeah, everything here is, the restaurant in itself, I always like to describe it as, uh, I mean, you, you put it pretty well in terms of time and place. So every time a season changes, we basically empty out the restaurant. So everything that is like serviceware goes back to storage and then whatever that's needed for the next season comes on. So oh, we right. change not only serviceware, we change the menu, we change the interior design, we change sections, everything gets swapped around. So every time it's like you're opening a new restaurant three times a year, which yeah, is yeah. kind of hectic. Ah, it's excellent. Walk-in blast freezer. Uh, a walk-in blast freezer. A walk-in freezer, not blast freezer. Oh fuck! I was going to say this is no. just like this is all new to me. I've definitely had a blast freezer, not a walk-in one. Yeah, this is the fish room. Um, of course, we don't use it now because we don't have any fish or seafood on the menu. Sure. But in the winter uh, seasons, it becomes like you know almost like a Chinese restaurant where you have like live shellfish kind of moving around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And We've discovered a long time ago, it's like, uh, well, I, I guess it's, we didn't discover it, but you know, this idea of having a shellfish that is shucked three seconds before it hits uh, the guest, it's a completely different kind of uh, product as opposed to something that you would get from, you know, uh, in a box, or regardless yeah. of how fresh or you might think it is. Do you think like a different experience in terms of the, in a positive sense, like it's, yeah, did you mean in a positive yeah. sense or like in a shocking sense? Yeah, like in a very positive sense. It's so different, the texture, the flavor, uh, the sweetness. Yeah, And yeah. of course, there's also a little weird uh, like moments where it's like, oh, it's still moving, you know? But <laughs> some of our friends, 
And <laughs> Very cash. Where's, uh, where's Maddie Matheson's uh, jersey up here? I have no idea. Maddie, Maddie Matheson has tons of books here. But oh, does he? Yeah. So, we, of course, we have a lot of friends that are, you know, chefs and industry professionals. So every time they come, they drop off books and, and whatnot. And it's always cool. This one here is our staff canteen. Um, I think one of the very jarring differences of uh, most restaurants, uh, or even our previous iteration of Noma and what it is now, is that the majority of these space is committed to staff use, and it's not really for guests. So we have dining rooms, but the rest of the facility is designed basically either for mise en place or in this case for staff to rest. So we have not just one, but two meals here. So first in the morning, it's kind of like a Japanese rice bowl where we have like pickles and, and, and veg and whatever. Um, and that's the same every day because I think it's something that we took away from Japan that we really enjoy. And then in the afternoon, it's uh, up to um, basically two interns to kind of uh, make staff meal. So as part of their internship program, they basically jump on here for a week and they come up with uh, whatever menus that they want uh, and cook essentially for 80 people every single day. It's definitely not a, it's a pretty daunting considering the people that you're cooking for. So um, you, we, it, it is, it's definitely a lot of uh, a challenge for most. But it's just moving away from this idea that, okay, a restaurant should only be for guests and the enjoyment of guests. And this is basically the, a very physical manifestation of that part. But we sit down and actually have a meal instead of eating over like plastic delis and containers over a stove, which is probably what we grew up in. Yeah, but a, bit, now, a bit more respectable. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, uh, now it's, it's mandatory for you to sit down and eat, regardless of how in the shifts you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm noticing this, uh, bit of Australian sense here. Yeah, so that is from uh, Arab, uh, what, what do you call it, uh, Aboriginals? Yeah, yeah. And, and they, when we were in Noma, Australia, they uh, basically, we commissioned them to kind of make this little art piece for us. I'm, I wasn't there, so I, I can't really speak to uh, the entire time uh, or the entire program in Noma, Australia. But uh, from what I know is that uh, in this particular tribe, they had to have an elder finish the, the piece, but that particular elder passed away. And it took a, a very long time for someone to uh, step up and to just kind of take over the mantle and to finish it. So it was only shipped here like years later after it was done. Wow. So it was really, really cool. And is this, these kangaroos on the styrofoam, is that for the uh, kangaroo steak? Well, no, this one is, uh, we just, it's just a, a part, it's called a kanga box, a kangaroo box, but it's just a, basically an insulation box. We use it to either store ice or store hot food or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a complete coincidence. I, I honestly did not place a dare for you or anything of that sort. <laughs> You're like, oh, the Aussie's coming. Better make him feel at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this cheeseburger thing was a relic from, uh, you know, our burger pop-up. Oh, sick. The, yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. serve cheeseburgers here anymore, even though we have a cheeseburger restaurant uh, down the road actually called Popple. But it was actually the first thing that we did after opening up because, it, you know, back and this was, I think, like 2020 or something after the first lockdown. And everyone was still so nervous. It didn't feel right, even though we were kind of given a green light to open yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to like do a tasting many restaurants. Yeah, so we're like, what, what gets people together? So we it was, you know, summer opening and we basically decided to set up like a wine bar and a burger bar outside the garden where it's beautiful, where people could be outdoors and not feel like afraid or have to put on mask and this or that. So... Yeah. Different team photos. This is the most recent one, I think. Oh, excellent. And that was in burger season. This is in the old space, Noma, Mexico. 
Noma Australia. After Noma, use that space. You mm. do not understand how many chefs tried yeah. to fight to use that space yeah, after yeah. that. Eh? It was crazy. It yeah, was I can, so I can funny. imagine the. So many people putting like, because as soon as the tender went out, yeah, it's like fucking like like seagulls on chips. Mm -hmm. Like it was so funny. So this is actually w what the space looked like before. This is exactly where we were, and this Peter Kreiner, who's yeah, our yeah. CEO, has kind of looked up the spot. And this is the lab, the fermentation lab. Oh, wow. Um, and of course, a lot of what we do at Noma is kind of centered around fermentation, or at least when people think about Noma, it's like, oh, the guys who do ferments this and that and make you eat ants and, and weird stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, we've kind of moved away from that in a sense where we don't like explain everything. It's fermented this or that. It's just how we cook. Right. Okay. It's the salt and pepper of what we do. And of course, in here comes like, a tremendous amount of innovation but also at the same time a tremendous amount of production so without uh, the potions and and the umami uh, potent like stuff that we we use we we couldn't we couldn't cook so these guys actually produce a lot of it for us uh, and on on another part of what they do is obviously the creativity side of things where they team up with the test kitchen to basically come up with different ways and different types of uh, uh, new innovative ways of eating things or preparing things just using a, a classical foundation of fermentation. When you started to learn about fermentation yourself, mm -hmm. for me, I guess I didn't even realize things like sauerkraut mm -hmm. when I was growing up was like this fermentation thing. Yeah. Right? Like, so I know that you know, you'd grow up eating it already, but until you understand its actual ability and its key in food, yeah. Being a chef and then kind of revisiting fermentation, how do you think that changed your perspective on food? Because I know that it was just like, it's like learning fucking sourdough. Like mm -hmm. in your I head, mean, it's so complicated. Yeah. You're like, fuck, like this idea of making bread and having to have a starter, like until you learn how to do it. And you're like, it's like playing music. It's like yeah. playing a, the bass or the piano. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's familiar now. I know, I understand. Like, but yeah, like one, once you get back into it as a chef, like it's, its own it's its own world you mm -hmm. know like it, it's like having a a completely like a, a set of vocabulary just open up for you to use i guess but most people or most cultures would have fermentation grow uh, like around them in terms of when they grow up you would probably be surrounded by things that are fermented you just like what you said you didn't draw your attention to them and we always like to say a, a big part of what we do in terms of fermentation is borrowed you know, uh, yeah. it's borrowed from different cultures. We didn't come up with a lot of these things. It's just now we're we're working backwards to work forwards in a sense. So revisiting different techniques and seeing how we can apply them to new ingredients and to create new products. So everything that we do mostly is borrowed um, from different cultures, Japanese, Chinese, or whatever that it is that we feel. And having that ability or having this team here where we could just come up to them and be like, okay, I need you to research and think about this and, and have it done. It's liberating in a sense where you have so much more to work with rather than just what you have now in this season, what's available to you, you know? It's a, a completely different set of, of tones and colors to paint with if you're, you know, trying to draw analogy towards painting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you putting it in the sense is it's like another language Mm -hmm. so, like I think that basically puts it accurate. Yeah. To me, it's 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 like music. It's like yeah. Once it's like a different way to express yourself. Exactly. You know? Like once you learn the rhythms and the flows, and you're like, cool. Now I can. Yeah, and for us, you know, it's it's how can we better express ourselves? We're not trying yeah. to express ourselves any differently. 
but it's like more vivid tones, more nuances. It's suddenly like uh, you're looking at a picture in black and white and suddenly there's tones coming into it, color, contrast, and everything's more vibrant. Everything is more like tuned up, you know? Yeah. And we used to say the same about salt and how salt actually brightens tones and everything. But with umami and, and all ferments coming in, suddenly it's like you've just turned up the contrast and, and the picture is so much more vivid. And now you understand, okay, this is us. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's the pursuit of learning and self-education. Yeah, it is very cool. What do, you, what do you find yourself tackling at the moment? Well, right now my, my role and my, a lot of what I do has to do with just running the actual restaurant, the oh, operations sure, sure. part of things. And, you know, I think I mentioned a little bit before, for me, creativity comes in a lot of problem solving and just really relooking at how we can structure restaurants in a different way, structure working hours, approaching different, uh, you know, prep lists differently and to basically see what is the, the optimum or the most efficient way of doing things. But, and I say this all the time, like we're not aiming for 100% efficiency because that's a creativity killer. You want it to be efficient, but with room to drop in like elements of chaos so things can naturally evolve, you know. Without chaos, there is no creativity, there's no growth you know, because everything is just like machines. You just operate and you're pumping out, you know, KPIs like 100% of the time. And then that's, that's boring, then, you know, what are, what are you doing? There, there has to be what like, some, yeah, there has to be like certain elements of, of fun and unexpectedness and chaos. Yeah. And that's, I, I feel like that's a big part of, of what I do here. Um, it's just to organize. It's to just to get things going, to make things run. And to, of course, now we're trying to work towards creating a system where people are working less and people are having a little bit more time for themselves in the sense of not only just spending time at home, but, you know, what would you do? Like, what are your passion projects here? If you could work on, you know, the company's time and the company's dollars, what do you want to kind of explore? What do you kind of want to kind of do? And that's always something we're pushing every single one, not just sous chefs or managers or people who, you know, work in the test kitchen, but every single one to really ask the questions like, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? You know? Yeah. And if it's exploring how to cook an onion in metal, you know, that's something we could do. <laughs> and, and one of our, one of our uh, sous chefs actually did that back in, uh, back in the day, just to prove a point that you don't need water to cook something. You could cook it in, in molten zinc or, you know. Yeah. But we'll, I, we'll walk in the garden so you can have a nice view of it. I have to say that's one of the keys, I think, to a well-gelled team is... Uh, utilizing everyone's i suppose pros yeah you know everyone has kind of a unique interest or hobby or yeah. skill and i think when you can you know when, when you actually humanize your staff and you get to know them and you go oh you do this like mm -hmm. why don't you do it here like yeah it, it, i think it, it is, makes them really feel valued and as well in that sense it was such a huge turning point for us when you because for you know for most kitchens everywhere there's like or most chefs, I, I think there's, in this head, there's this model of a chef that you want, this ideal individual. Oh, he must be good at this. He must be good at butchery, this and that. And then everything needs to kind of fit a certain mold, at least back in the day. And I feel like when you adopt a mentality like that, you exclude a lot of people that are good at so many other things because this is assuming everyone can be good at everything, which is stupid, <laughs> you know? 
and uh, and our team is is so diverse. We have you know we have geeks, we have executioners, we have dreamers, we have people that you know uh, are are probably like constantly up in the ether, just pulling down ideas. But they may not be the best people to you know meet deadlines or, or to execute service because maybe they don't do so well under that certain pressure. We take that into account and we bring them on because that's still valuable in so many different ways. And uh, if what you have when you bring on just like the same type of cooks and chefs and then you have a team of you know like very like boring mundane kind of interactions <laughs> and, and it doesn't challenge uh, each other it doesn't challenge your team yeah yeah and that's such a big part of what we do here we, we want to leave room for everyone it might sound like a stupid question but I don't uh, I'm still like understanding the environment in, in the seasons but does it snow here it does okay so yeah. Okay, very good. So I think that would be... Not a lot though, but it does. But enough to not really be able to grow anything out here, essentially. No, no, exactly. So in kind of like the winter seasons, nothing grows. And that's why we kind of okay. made, made like seafood season the, the winter season. Okay. Because that's when everything is pristine. And, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was at a farm, I was at a gorilla farm in Oslo. Mm-hmm. And same thing there, you know, it's just covered for... Like four, four months, five months a year or so. Yeah. And so I was kind of getting to understand how they have to work to combat that. Yeah. Not that they necessarily supply to restaurants as their job, but obviously there's still a lot of food that they don't want to go to waste regardless. Yeah, of course. So I guess understanding and, and learning the techniques of how they combat that and learn that is really interesting because for this being now grown for the restaurant, you would have to do a lot of preserving and, yeah. and i guess that's where it kind of most of it's born right yeah 100 percent. this is like my favorite part of the restaurant especially in this season the garden yeah <laughs> or, or just this particular area you know? oh this particular area yeah, yeah. It's i was just like quiet. I, mean, I would love i love the garden yeah it's yeah. just beautiful and and everything about it but i i come here usually once a day and just sit by myself and meditate a little bit yeah and it really just uh it helps calm you a little bit and sets you up for the day I also bring my dog here and then, you know, we have a good time. That's Poncho? Yes. It's crazy. I, I remember reading you rescued it from Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. That's, that's so sick. Yeah, it, it was, he's like a, like a crazy immigrant story. Oh, bad. Yeah. And just come out here and play ball. And uh, <laughs> Renee's dog would play also. Yeah, we were a very dog friendly restaurant here. If I could, I would, uh, we would allow them to bring dogs to dinner, but I, I don't know how to manage the logistics of that, so. I've been thinking about this for the past few months, hey. Yeah. I've just like, how do I find or work a restaurant where I could just have a, like, bring the, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or just like, we're just like all animals are just yeah. welcome to just do whatever. Because you at outside cafes, so yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to think, how do they get away with that? Yeah. And I'm like, how can I make that a restaurant? Like, <laughs> I'd love to just for everyone to just like bring their dog for dinner and, you know, like that's the ideal world. Yeah, right? that would Where be crazy. Everything can be in unison, mm -hmm. you know, without dogs licking food off your plate. Yeah. But I mean, there are some restaurants here in Copenhagen that are actually extremely dog friendly. So. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of cafes mostly. And I think uh, the general rule of thumb is if they don't specify that you can't bring dogs in, you generally can. Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. And we always ask and most people are more than happy to, you know, bring out a little saucer of water for Poncho. Yeah, let me know when you get that restaurant going and <laughs> be sure to bring my dog. I mean, I, I always said, you know, maybe next year or, or whatever, my, before I leave this restaurant, I would like to eat here in the garden with my dog, you know, 
That would be amazing. Like a like a picnic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or just like to have a full tasting menu, but <laughs> with Pancho and my wife, you know, that would be really cool. That'd be so sick. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly saying goodbye to to the garden as we go for the different seasons. It's gonna be very fascinating. Did you grow up with a lot of gardening yourself? No, I didn't. I mean, my mother would garden, you know, but like maybe a plot of land that's this big. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I remember when I was an apprentice and it was probably like a year into it. Yeah. And a, a part of me was just like, oh, I feel like it's such an integral part of being a chef to like learn how to yeah, grow get, stuff. Yeah, grow, grow shit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like you have these ideas of what a, a, a good chef needs to know how to do mm -hmm. in order to be good. Yeah. You know, like whatever idea it is, what a fucking crazy idea. But to me, it was just like having a, gra a garden for a season or two and learning and doing it yourself and just reading and understanding because yeah. obviously understanding seasons and growing, I think is, I think it's pretty fundamental. Yeah, of course. You know, like I, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty important. That's really all you need to say about it. But so I asked my dad, I was like, oh, hey, can, can I uh, like upturn your whole backyard, <laughs> right? In my head, I'm like, oh, it's not, not a huge deal. Like his backyard is, is, you know, probably about the size of this area here. So mm -hmm. it's about 15 meters by 10 meters. Yeah. That's his whole backyard. And I'm like, oh, dad, you know, we never did anything with it. You yeah. know, so it just, the grass would grow up as hard as your knees and you'd have to mow it down. So I'm like, yeah. oh, dad, can I just upturn it and turn it into a, like a micro farm? He's like, sure, son, do whatever. So I was using my apprentice wages to go buy like tons of sugar cane and just like manure and like all, all the blood and bone, all this sort of stuff. I, you know, back then, this is like ages ago. Incredible. And uh, yeah, and so like I would turn it, I would turn it. I, would, I, did, I think I turned the whole guard in like three days. I just like turning it up and turning it up and all this sort of stuff. And I, I remember doing it for so long, I was like throwing up one time. Yeah, so I just, I was back doing breaking it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, no, nah, no, nah, because I was so committed to it. Yeah. You know how crazy you can get, you know, when you have this idea and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to be here till all, all hours of the morning getting it done because I want it that bad. <laughs> and yeah, and so like I, I only turned it and then I had to have, add the, I had a newspaper for like the nitrogen mm -hmm. from the, you know, from the paper and yeah. stuff like that. And then you'd wet that down and then you'd spread your sugar cane down. And then once that settled, oh no, sorry, I even put in a fucking a sprinkler system. Ah. So I had pipes running under the ground as well yeah. so that I laid out from the tap with a timer. So it would water two times a day or whatever. Uh -huh. And so like even learning about that was yeah. just like. That's crazy. Oh, it was, oh but it's, in, it's interesting. It's, interesting, it's yeah. really interesting because you really understand how hard and, and how, how much thought goes stuff, into running you know. a farm. And yeah, and so and then, you know, after the, the week of, by the time I got it ready, you'd be there with, you got your seeds and you'd be yeah. putting your, you're putting your finger through the dirt, making the seeds ready. And then, you know, having your crest and it's just, it's really, really I'm sure it's like extremely satisfying at the end. It's so satisfying, yeah. man. Like it, I, I really love it. Like it's crazy that it takes sometimes having to be on a visa traveling for you to do farm work yeah. as a part of it, right? Like yeah. I feel like for a chef that should just be part yeah. of your TAFE course or culinary course, like just like working on a farm, mm. you know, like. Yeah, for know. sure. You'll gain a lot from it. So much, man, yeah. so much. And so I think it's excellent here. Like, do you have your, I don't know if I've seen this at a few other restaurants where on the roster it'll say, you know, garden shit. Yeah. Is that the same here? We tried to do it, uh, but there's just, uh, we don't have enough time, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah. And maybe in the future we definitely will, but it also depends on the seasonal work because obviously it's the busiest kind of leading up to summer, but that's also when we're the busiest in the kitchen. Yeah, So yeah. It's, uh, it's not a good match, unfortunately. <laughs>
do do you have an, like a, an actual garden that manages? Yeah, we yeah, have yeah. a dedicated garden team, and and these yeah. are like you know people who study like gardening and uh, agriculture and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So they are definitely the experts here. Well, I think that just about <laughs> finishes it up. Amazing. Yeah, it's not often chefs around the world get to come to a place like this. So I feel very uh, privileged, and I appreciate you giving me your time. And you're so welcome. The Roots Hospitality Podcast is proudly supported by Sydney Direct Fresh Produce, the fruit and veg provador that are led by Luke Kohler, who has provided Sydney with some of the best produce for more than two decades and still smashing it out today. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to listen to more episodes or check out some cool behind-the-scenes photography, then head to the new website over at rootshospitality.com.au or follow Roots Hospitality on Instagram for the latest updates. Cheers.